573, only a step, and we'll be working our way toward the invitation here in just a few short minutes. But we're always thinking about that step, that important step that would draw us closer to God, that important decision that causes us to turn away from the world and the devil's ways and turn to the Lord and His righteousness. There's a particular statement I'd like to, to um, share with you and also for us to focus upon this morning. It's found in James 4 and verse 6 and also 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. It simply says, God resists the proud and gives grace unto the humble. God resists the proud and gives grace unto the humble. Look at it particularly in 1 Peter 5 and verse 5 where Peter says, Clothe yourselves with humility so you can serve one another. For God resists the proud and he gives grace unto the humble. Let me set the table for us here for a minute. What I'd like to do is, first of all, to see how Jesus draws our attention toward, toward humility. And then I'd like to, for us to see a few characteristics of the proud and then a few characteristics of the humble. So here we go. Let's see how Jesus draws our attention toward being humble. He does this, what you might call second glance statements. There are a lot of second glance statements uh, from the lips of Jesus and in the Bible. For example, uh, 2 Timothy 2.11 says, If we are going to live, we must die, spiritually speaking. If we're going to live, we're going, we must die to sin, 2 Timothy 2.11 also, another second glance statement uh, is Jesus said in Matthew 16, uh, 25, he that would find his life must lose it. He must find, find his life must lose it. I call these second glance statements because at first it, it seems kind of upside down that Jesus would be saying you've got to die in order to live. You've got to lose your life in order to find it. But upon further reflection, we can see uh, what he means. Also, Luke 6, 38 says, in order for us to get, we must give. In order for us to get, we must give. Some people call these paradoxical paradoxes, uh, paradox statements. But nonetheless, you can see that Jesus is trying to draw our attention to certain uh, principles as he makes these types of remarks. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18, Paul says, if we are going to be wise, we must be foolish. We must be uh, foolish if we're going to become uh, wise. Now, Jesus often said that the way up is down. The way up is down. Jesus draws our attention toward humility by giving us one of these uh, second glance statements. For example, Matthew uh, 23 and verse 12, Jesus says, Everyone who would seek to exalt himself will be humbled but he that humbles himself will be exalted. And he repeats this several times, not only here in Matthew 23, 12, but also in Luke 14, 11, and then also in Luke 18 and verse 14. And Jesus causes his disciples to write this, James 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And again, Peter makes his remarks that we referred to from 1 Peter 5. So Jesus draws our attention towards saying that the way up is down. The way ultimately to get to heaven is to humble ourselves. 
the way to be able to walk with God now and to serve him is to humble ourselves. Another way that Jesus draws our attention is by certain physical movements he makes while he was on this earth. He would often be stooping over. It's really telling how often Jesus stoops over. It's really telling how much time Jesus spent close to the ground. For example, in Matthew 14, 30 and 31, Jesus stoops over as he is standing on water in order to help Peter, who is, who is losing trust in the Lord. Matthew 14, 30 and 31. And then in Matthew 19, 13 to 15, Jesus is stooping over to pick up little children and hold them in his arms and bless them for their parents. In Luke chapter 22, 42 to 44, we see Jesus really close to the ground because he falls flat on the ground, his face on the ground as he prays uh, to the Lord. We see him in John 13 as he is at knee level now with his disciples and he washes uh, their feet. We see him in John 21 as he stooped over and he makes breakfast for his disciples this following his resurrection. Jesus just spends a lot of time close to the ground. I believe these physical movements are there in order to draw our attention again to this great ideal, this very important principle that the way up is down. Now, the second part of our lesson, let's notice some characteristics of the proud. God resists the proud. The proud are performers. According to Jesus in Matthew 23, if you begin reading from verses 5 on down to verse 12 that we mentioned a moment ago, the proud are performers. All things that they do, they do to be seen of men. This is, this is pride in the heart. When we are doing even good things to be seen of men for that reason, then we how pride in our hearts. And Jesus goes on to talk about some of the Jews, some of the Pharisees that had this uh, characteristic about them. He said they will highly decorate their robes and they'll make long prayers in, in the assemblies in order to be heard or in order to be seen of men. They will seek the chief seats in the synagogues or any other place like a feast or any other gathering. They want the chief seats again so that they, the attention can be drawn to them. Pride for people, they, they battle for attention, for personal attention. It's very, very immature, but this is one characteristic of them. And not only do they vie and, and battle for the chief seats in the synagogues and at certain feasts, but also they really enjoy the titles, religious titles. And Jesus says right there in Matthew 23, he said, don't be called rabbi. Don't be seeking to be called rabbi. There's one who is your teacher. Don't be seeking to be called master. You only have one Lord. We have one teacher. Primarily we have one Lord and that is Jesus and we are all brethren. So therefore humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up in due time. We must remember that even when we do something good, God can reject us. The good that we do can be rejected by God if we are doing it for some sort of personal advancement or some sort of personal attention. A second characteristic of, of pride 
is that proudful people make light of sin. James chapter 4 now. Those of us who have pride in our heart, we will oftentimes think very little of sin. Very little of sin. This is what James is building upon here in James 4, say beginning about verse 7. He says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But if you draw nigh to God, he will draw near to you. And then he says these words which sound kind of strange to us. He says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into heaviness. Let your joy be turned into sorrow. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He's talking about our attitude towards sin. Attitude towards sin. Some folks just do not see sin as the major problem in the world, but that's exactly what it is. If you ask what is the major problem, what's the number one problem, what's the number one and two and three and four problem in the world, it is definitely sin. It separates us from God, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. And where else do you go after that? If you're separated from God, then you must find God's solution uh, to sin. And so James is saying, look, when you sin, it's not a time for humor. Okay, Wipe that smirk off your face. James is saying, when we sin, it's a time to mourn. It's a time to be afflicted. It's a time to let your joy turn into sorrow, your joy into heaviness. You see. I think this is illustrated in Jesus' little story he tells in Luke 18, 9 to 14. He talks about the Pharisee who goes to the temple to pray. And, and as he prays, he's basically praying with himself and about himself. Telling God all the things that he has done about fasting twice a week and he's not an adulterer and he doesn't steal things. He tells God all about the good things he has done. But then over in the corner is this publicly and also there in the temple praying. Because of the weight of sin on his heart, he can hardly lift up his eyes unto heaven. But he smote his breast saying, Lord be merciful unto me the sinner. The sinner. It wasn't anybody else's sins that the publican had in mind. It was his own sins. His own sins. It's very similar to what Paul says. Paul learns this. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul looked at himself as the chief of sinners. It was his own sin he was concerned about. And he was personally grateful for the forgiveness that God had extended to him through, through Christ. In Luke chapter 7, 36 verses following, Jesus went into the home of Simon the Pharisee. And as you remember, a lady comes in, a known sinner in the city, and she, couldn't, she can't help but provide gratitude, extend gratitude to Jesus for forgiveness that he had offered to her and extended to her. She's weeping, she, she washes his, his feet, she anoints him, she washes his feet with her tears, she wipes them with her hair, and Simon the Pharisee takes occasion to speak against Jesus. He says about Jesus, he says, if this man knew this lady and the type of sinner she, she is, he wouldn't be accepting this kind of devotion from her. But Jesus looked at Simon he says, Simon, to whom much is forgiven, 
then much is required. He who is forgiven much loves more. And that was the difference between this woman and Simon. Simon wouldn't dare take an examination of his own sins. He had not taken time to do that. He wasn't planning on taking time to do that. But this lady took sin very seriously. And because of forgiveness, she could not help but devote herself to her Lord. And so when pride is in our heart, we make light of sin. Oftentimes when an individual or a group of people is striving to be biblically sound according to God's New Testament, others will remark and say, well, they're fanatical. They're just a bunch of fanatics. They, they take things way too far. And that's a way of making light of sin. Sin is a problem. And it's, it's an eternal problem. And if we don't address it, if we don't seek the solution through Jesus and his blood, then we're in eternal trouble. The other folks are in eternal trouble. And then a third characteristic of the proud is they don't really care for other people. They don't truly care for other people. Notice that again in Jesus' statement there in Luke 18 verse 9 as he tells this story about the Pharisee and the publican. He talks about the Pharisees and how that many looked to themselves as righteous, but they set others at naught. They had contempt for others. They didn't truly care for others. And going back to Jesus' statement about humility in Luke 14, if you notice his statement there in Luke 14, verse 11, he said, you know, whoever exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And, and Jesus is there, again, in the house of a Pharisee, a ruler of the Pharisees. A ruler of the Pharisees. I don't think we have quite grasped the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of the Apostle Paul. Because why aren't we going to rulers? Why aren't we seeking out men of high places and talking to them about their sin? Jesus is going into the ruler of the Pharisees. His house. A huge gathering there. And Jesus heals a man of a sickness. And then he begins to talk to the Pharisees and to that ruler of the Pharisees about the pride in their heart, how they seek out chief positions at feast, and they, they look for places of honor. And then he goes on here in, in Luke 14, and notice with me in verse 12. Notice Luke 14, verse 12, how Jesus talks to the, this Pharisee, the ruler of the Pharisees, but also the other Pharisees there. He said to the man who had invited him, this is the ruler, he said to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, now folks, let's listen to this and see how this compares to our lives. He goes on to say, Jesus does. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid, though, at the resurrection of the just. That's all we care about It's just getting to heaven. All we care about is hearing the Lord say, well done, well done good and faithful servant. Otherwise, the humility of our heart is to lead us to help those who cannot help themselves, who cannot repay us, 
So that is a third characteristic of the, of the proud, and that is they don't really truly care uh, for other people. Now let's switch to the last part of our lesson, and that is some characteristics of the humble. The humble. First, a humble person listens to God so that he can obey and share that word with other people. Jesus is meek and lowly in heart, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. And Jesus would say concerning what he was teaching, he would often say these words. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me, Matthew, uh, rather John seven sixteen. John seven sixteen. My teaching is not mine, but his that sent me. Now, if you want to follow some references there, you might uh, write down John eight twenty eight and John uh, ten fourteen, uh, John ten twenty four. Over and over, Jesus will say, "What I teach doesn't come from my own authority, but from the authority of my Father in heaven." Now, how is it that Jesus, the perfect man, keeps relying on the teaching of the Father? It's because he's humble. And if Jesus needs to rely on the exact, precise teaching of the Father as it is revealed, then so shouldn't we? Absolutely we should. A humble person is going to seek out the knowledge of God and his scriptures and going to learn it and then so he can share it. When those on Pentecost heard Peter preach and responded by repenting and being baptized for forgiveness of their sins, they were humble enough to, to receive that. But we've got to be also quick to share it. Sometimes a mistake is made in, in thinking that humility equals silence or that humility equals being shy. And that's simply not true. Do I think that Jesus, as he come teaching in the synagogues and teaching in the temple area and teaching in every opportunity, teaching on the side of the beach and teaching at every opportunity he had in people's houses and Pharisees, do I think that Jesus was somewhat arrogant because he took the opportunity to teach? Absolutely not. Do I think that Peter and John and Barnabas and, 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 and James and Paul were arrogant, prideful people because they were willing to be bold and speak out. I do not think that. Do you think that? Surely you do not. Humility does not equal silence. Humility does not equal shyness. But rather, we realize that the best life is a life of humility. And we want others to know this because the world doesn't automatically get it. A second characteristic of, of humility is to pray intensely. Humble people pray with a great deal of fervency. As Jesus' example shows us there in Luke 22 and 44. It says, He being in agony prayed earnestly. And we know that he falls on the ground. Great Drops of blood come out from his skin. His sweat became his great drops of blood. He is praying intensely. That's what humble people do. How long has it been since you fell on the ground and prayed? I'd recommend it. Not all the time, maybe. 
But if you haven't done that in a while, I, I recommend it. It'll do something to your heart. Your physical movements often connect to the movements of your heart. Now, we sing sometimes this song that has the words ebb and pinion, night with ebb and pinion, brooded o'er the veil. Why are those words in our song? Well, it's a reference here to Luke 22 and verse 44. This time, this night, this night before crucifixion, this night that Jesus will be arrested. Jesus is in the garden. And there's a darkness that hovers over that garden that night. And there's a, it's not only drawing toward nighttime, but there's another darkness there. Okay. Now, Eben Pinion. Eben having the ideal to do with, um, with black, darkness of black. Eben. Uh, ebony and ivory. Eben. Pinion means to hover over. Like, like birds with wings are, are amazing to watch. They hover over the sky as if it's no problem for them to just float over treetops and over our heads. Okay. Well, the song is saying that a, a darkness hovers over that garden, and it did. Not just the darkness of night, but the loneliness of Jesus as he is about to have to bear the sins of the world. The sorrow and other emotions travail that is upon the heart of Jesus. And then there's a darkness and blackness there because of what is driving Jesus to the cross. And that, of course, is the darkness and blackness of sin itself. And so humble people pray fervently, pray intensely. A third characteristic of hum- humility, humble people, is they trust God with all their heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says that very thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. That's what humble people do. Notice what Peter says, going back to his statements in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, where he says, Be clothed with humility so you'll be able to serve one another. And then right after that he says, Cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. In other words, throw all your anxieties upon the Lord, for no one cares for you as the Lord cares for you. Folks, Christians must be humble and we must not worry. We must learn to eliminate worry out of our lives. It's a tremendous hindrance to our influence in this world. We must cast, we must literally throw our worries, throw our anxieties. As soon as they come into our minds, we must throw them to the throne of God. And just as soon as they come, stop and pray. Stop and pray. You don't have to be on your bed at night to pray. You can be in your car. As soon as those thoughts come, give it to God. Take your Bibles with me. Look at a couple of verses from Psalms that illustrates, that, that impresses this trust in the Lord. Because that's, that's true. Humble people trust in the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 5, and then one other, and then we'll move on. Notice this, Psalm 37, verse 5. You'll, you'll want to have this marked in your Bible. 
Psalm 37 verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring it to pass. Verse 4 leads up to this, says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now don't read the last part of verse 4 before the first part of verse 4. The delight that we have in the Lord creates our desires in our heart. It's not like we just have desires in our heart and then we say, Lord, give me my desires in my heart. No, you delight yourself in the Lord, which brings the proper desires in your heart. And then you commit your way to the Lord. You trust in Him and then He will bring that to pass. Can we not learn to trust in the Lord as these writers uh, would tell us? Look at Psalm 55, 22 also. Psalm 55 and 22 Fifty-five, twenty-two. cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. Do you hear any doubt in there? Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. What about the guarantee of these statements? He will never permit the righteous to be moved. We've got to commit our way unto the Lord and then trust in Him and quit our fretting, quit, quit our worrying uh, totally. So one characteristic of those who are humble, they listen, obey, and share God's word. A second characteristic is they pray fervently. A third one is they trust in the Lord. And then here's, here's number four, and this is a big one. Humble people give themselves up in a radical way. Humble people give themselves up for the Lord in a radical way. All we have in order to complete this thought, is the example of Jesus. That's all we need. He left the glories of heaven, John 17, 1 through 5. There in John 17, Jesus is praying, you know, Lord, glorify me with the glory that I had before I came to this earth. Look what Jesus left. Look what Jesus took on. John 1, 14 the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Do we, do, we, do we really realize what Jesus gave up when He come to this earth? Philippians 2 really talks about it, verses 5 uh, through 9. And Jesus being on equality, equality with God, He didn't look at that as a thing to be grasped, but rather He took the form of a servant and was made in likeness of man, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled Himself became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. Don't we see this whole principle of humbling yourself and you'll be exalted? Don't we see it played out right in the life of Jesus? But look what he gave up. Humble people give themselves up for God in a radical way. How this plays out is, is different for everyone, but it certainly ought to change our hearts. Sometimes it'll change what we do with our possessions. Sometimes it'll change what we do with our entire lives. We were blessed last week to get to worship with the Gatlinburg Church of Christ in their new uh, building. The preacher there is name is Roger Comstock. We've known Roger and his wife Charlotte for many years. They, they were preachers over at the Bridgeport 
uh, he was the preacher over at Bridgeport Church of Christ for, for many years. But I remember this about Roger. He was, he is, he is still a carpenter, incredible carpenter. And um, he worked in various places making um, lots of money, member of the church. But um, he just kept reading the Bible and, and just came to the decision. It's a radical change. Told his wife, said, I'm, I'm stopping all of this. And he went to the um, East Tennessee School of Preaching back in those days. And um, he started preaching. He started preaching. One of the most humble preachers I know right now. Thus the ideal is humble people are willing to give themselves up in a radical way. And what is that going to be for you? What is that going to be for me? We must continuously look to Jesus as our example. And then finally, humble people are willing to do the lowly jobs. This brings us back to Jesus at knee level with the disciples. Where are they at? They're in that upper room. Right before the cross. Now there's a pan of water there, and there's a towel. There's towel. There are towels there, but there are no servants. There's only one servant there, and it's going to be Jesus. But everybody else is there. Peter, James, John, Philip, others are there. Everybody's kind of waiting on somebody else to get up and do this task of washing the feet. They're not about to make the move. But Jesus makes the move. What does he do? He washes their feet. He washes their feet. There's something about feet that's not so attractive. Okay. Larry, do you have a picture of Kay's feet on your desk? No. Is this not? It's just, I mean, how many of you grandparents have a picture of your grandchildren from ankle down? Ankle down. It's just not happening. It's just not anything really attractive about feet. No wonder nobody wanted to get up and start washing the feet. But, but Jesus did. He did. Whose feet is he washing? He's washing Philip's feet. And Philip, you know, he had doubted Jesus' commands back when, when there was a command to feed the multitude. And Philip had said, John 6 and verse 7, you know, uh, how are we going to feed all of these? We've got, we've got five loaves and two fish, but what is that among all these? So what happens when, when someone doubts the commands of Jesus? Well, Jesus washed his feet. Well, there's James and John there, and, and they were just in the midst of, of vying for certain positions in the kingdom of God, and in their mind there were some positions to, to battle for, and Jesus washes their feet. What does Jesus do when somebody's trying to use his kingdom for personal advancement? Well, he washes their feet. And then there's Peter. Peter had quit trusting the Lord out there on top of that water. Peter had told Jesus, Matthew 16, that there's no need for him to go to the cross. He's not going to go to the cross. He shouldn't do that. Jesus is washing his feet. And then there's Judas, there's lying, conniving Judas, greedy Judas, and he, he washes his feet. In fact, all 24 of those feet at, at one point or another will disappoint Jesus, but he's, he's washing their feet. And the disciples will eventually learn this very important idea 
that if you're going to receive grace, you've got to make a commitment to give it as well. And that's really where we're coming to. That's where I was going this morning with all of what we just said. That if we're going to be willing to receive God's grace, all of it, the blood of Jesus, the gospel, all of it, then automatically we must be willing to give it to others. Otherwise, we've not really received it. We haven't really grasped the ideas. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. It might be that you're at a point now in your life. We don't know. We, only the Lord knows our thoughts. He knows our positions. He knows our, our words. He knows our actions. He knows our decisions. He knows our future, our plans, our dreams. It might be that might be that Jesus' statements about humility can cause us to take another look at the direction in which we're going. If we can assist you with any spiritual need, please make that known right now as we stand together and as we sing.